Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess. Thank you very much for listening to me and for uh, taking your time out to listen to this podcast. Today we are talking about um, uh, the Taj Mahal and how it was built before 536 AD. We spoke a little bit of the context uh, of the Taj Mahal. Um, of Shah Jahan and the Mughal rulers. Uh, in the previous podcast, we spoke about his cousins, the Ottomans, how they were each rivaling each other and trying to upstage each other. Then we talked about uh, Shah Jahan's wife. Her name, original name, was Arjuman Banu Begum. Uh, her married name was Mumtaz Izamani, and she was put down as Mumtaz um, Mahal once she died. Uh, so let's go straight back to this uh, episode. Uh, we will start with Sajan's wife, Mumtaz Mahal, and we will go from there. And once, and we will take a look at. Um, a little more about her and and the mansion, how it was bought, and so on and so forth, and we'll go through all the details as much as possible. So take uh, some notes down, keep a paper pen, and there's a lot to talk about over here. So six months after the death of Mumtaz Mahal in childbirth in 1631 AD, her body was brought down from the town of her initial burying place of Buranpur and taken to Agra. So she was the beloved wife of Sajahan. She had 14 children on the on the in childbirth on the 14 child, sorry, on the 14 childbirth she passed away. And and she was buried at the place where she died that was Buranpur, which is modern day Uttar Pradesh in, in India and then she was kept there for six months, and six months later, she was transferred to the Taj or Agra. Uh, official chronicle reports of the court, uh, written by four, three of his chroniclers, uh, have varied accounts of this. So they say, as there was uh, the the one, the name of the chronicler is Casvini, and he says, as there was on the southern side of a Akrabad, adjoining the city on the banks of the river Jamuna, a tract of land, Zamini, which formerly was the house of Raja Mansing, but at this time was in the possession of his grandson Raja Jaising. And Raja, as a token of his sincerity and devotion, donated the said land, Zamin, and considered this to be a source of happiness. However, His Majesty, in exchange for that, granted Raja a lofty house which belonged to the Crown Estate. Uh, that means there was a land which interested Sajahan very much. Um, that was a house, a khana, um, and it belonged to Raja Mansing. Um, and his grandson, Raja Jaising, was looking after it. And as a token of his sincerity and devotion, apparently, alleged, he gave this tract of land to Raja, to Sajahan. However, his Majesty, in exchange for that, granted the Raja a lofty house which belonged to the Crown Estate. So he was given another lofty house in exchange. Why didn't the Raja bury, why didn't Sajahan bury his wife in the other house? We don't know. But apparently, this was not, the other house was not good enough. Uh, and so he definitely wanted something that was better that would upstage his cousins in, in the Ottoman Empire. And this Ottoman Empire, uh, then afterwards, um, you know, 
definitely would not have liked it and would have to, you know, upstage the moguls again. So it was sort of a rivalry going on. So instead of taking using his lofty houses uh, and land that belonged to Shah Jahan and the Mughal Empire, they wanted this specific tract of land and the house on the tract of land, otherwise called Kana or Manzil, belonging to a Hindu king. Now, another chronicler, Lahore, wrote, writes, as there was a tract of land of great eminence and pleasantness towards the south of that large city, on which there was before this a mansion of Raja Man Singh, and which now belonged to his grandson, Raja Jai Singh. It was selected for the burial place of that tenant of paradise. Sali, another chronicler, says, after reaching Akrabad, it was entrusted to the earth in the heaven like a tract like the tract of land, situated on the south side of the abode of the caliphate, overlooking the river Jamuna, which had belonged to Raja Mansingh, and to acquire his majesty the caliph ranked, had given his in exchange a mansion loftier than the said mansion to his grandson Raja Raja Rad Singh. Um, now again there it's confirmed, three chroniclers confirm that the land on which the Taj Mahal sits belonged to Raja Mansingh and was looked after his uh, grandson. Uh, his grandson being Raja um, Jai Singh. Um, there was already a house on this, and he absolutely, the Emperor Sajahan, absolutely wanted to that particular house and nothing else. Uh, one chronicler says that. The, the house given in exchange, the manzil given in exchange to uh, the Hindu king was better, but if it was better, he would never have let it go. Okay, so definitely it was not better. Uh, the manzil sitting on on the land belonging to the Hindu king uh, was taken and says very clearly that it was it's a beautiful place and this land is now where the Taj Mahal stands. A copy of the royal farm, farmen, that means the royal order uh, to the Hindu king, is dated 26th of Jamuda, 1043, 6th regal year, a certified copy of the original uh, farmen, dated 20th December 1633, is also preserved. So a far, farmen is a, a royal order, a royal decree. So a royal, a copy of that royal decree was noted in 1043 Islamic year, uh, or the regal year, and it is, uh, there is proof of that, there's a copy of that that still exists um, in uh, Sajahan's chronicles. So his exalted majesty, it says, be it known to his glorious farming marked by happiness, which has received the honor of issuance and dignity of proclamation, that mention that the mansion have or heavily detail in the endorsement, uh, together with its dependencies, which belong to the August Crown property, have been offered to that pride of peers and vessels of the monarch. Of Islam. Raja Jai Singh and are here hereby handed over and transferred to his ownership in exchange for the mansion formerly 
belonging to Raja Mansing, which that pride of the grandees willingly and voluntarily donated for the mausoleum of the queen of the ladies of the world and lady of ladies of the age, that honor of the daughters of Adam and Eve, um, and upholder of the stature of chastity of that time, that Rabia of the world, the chastest chastity of the world religion that recipient of divine mercy and pardon mumtaz mahal so the farm in the decree says that the hindu king uh, was given a property in exchange uh, for the land and the and the house on which the taj mahal stood stands today at the manzil the palace or the the resting place the big royal house which belonged to the Hindu king, um, he was. It was exchanged to Sajahan, the Mughal king, and in exchange he was given another house. Uh, and the Hindu king did it voluntary. Obviously, he was not going to. Uh, he didn't exactly have a choice. No one has a choice when the king says, "I want your land." It's the government comes to the and says, "I want your land." You know, you have to give it, and the government will give you a pittance in return. And you have to give it, and they say, oh, well, it's done voluntarily. Nothing else can be said. But in, in reality, no one gives land to the government voluntarily. So the endorsement on the reverse of the decree, the farming, says the mansion, Haveli, together with the dependencies belonging to the August Granic state, in exchange for the mansion belonging to Raja Jaising, which that pillar of the state for the sake of the illumined tomb, willingly and voluntarily donated as a gift, have hereby been granted to us by the said Raja and settled on him in full ownership. That means he was the Hindu king was given a house um, in return for the Haveli, for the mansion uh, given to uh, Emperor Sajahan. So the attestation and the seal is put on the farming, certified as a true copy of the original and the servant of the religious code of Muhammad Abul Barakat. Okay. Thus we have enough of evidence showing that Emperor Sajahan not only received land from the Hindu king, but the mahal or the mausoleum intact from the Hindu king Raja Jai Singh. So Raja Jai Singh not only had to give his land, but also the manzil, the haveli, the, or the mahal to Sajahan. That anniversary celebrations of the emperor Mumtaz Izamani or Mumtaz Mahal. Okay, that is the next topic that we're going to talk about. So she's, she's di she died in Buranpur. She was then transferred uh, to uh, this Haveli in Agra. The land and the Haveli belonged to Hindu king. And then it was allegedly voluntarily handed over to the king of, uh, to the Mughal emperor. So one year later, we have um, that anniversary celebrations. And the chronicles say, the official court chronicles of Sajahan, written by Taba Taba, on the occasion of the first anniversary of Mumtaz's death, it states, assignments were made to the dispensers of the affairs of the government and good fashioners of workshops of the kingdom to make necessary arrangements for the occasion. And acting in compliance with the royal order, they set up in a courtyard of auspicious mausoleum, heaven-like tents, um, 
So the mausoleum is called Rauza and tens, the word used was Kaimaha. Kaimaha was the word for tens. It was set up in the courtyard of the auspicious mausoleum. Now, this is only one year from her death, okay? So her death is in 1631, somewhere in June. Uh, six months later, she is now transferred to Agra. And six months later, which is six and six, 12 months, she, now there's the first year anniversary. And there are already tents set up there. So if they were building, there wouldn't be any tents. There would be, it would be all muck. Uh, they couldn't put tents. So remember, they had to bring down the building that was there if they really bought it down and build something of their own. So there would not be place for tents. Um, each one of of which would have each one of which that's the tents could have been an excellent substitute for the dal badal. Okay, dal badal doesn't say what it is, and on their sides and borders they were erected canopies of painted gold brocade velvet, each one of which in the width of colorfulness boasted its equal status with the brightness of dawn and the colorfulness of twilight. What is important over here is that part of which is highlighted in bold. There is no, in, in the books, there is no way in one year since the queen's death, the courtyard and the mausoleum was already ready enough to conduct the ceremony as noted in the chronicles. Okay. Neither would the foundation have been halfway to completion. Until September, India experiences rains. Hence, any work in essence would have been done only from October onwards. According to the Chronicles, work started in January of 1632. So she dies in 1631. Chronicles say work started in January 1632, hence six months. So if there was a munzel on the ground, it just... Just bringing it down would be a couple of years. Now, in the above chronicles, we see that there's already a mansion in, in, on that piece of land given to Sajahan by Raja Man Singh. Also, nowhere in the chronicles is it said that they destroyed that mansion to build a new one. There were notes about laying a foundation of a tomb, but nothing in depth. Just small articles giving brief descriptions. With a mansion already on the ground, it would not be difficult to understand that the Taj was completed in record time. Okay, It is not difficult to understand that on the second anniversary of Mumtaz's death itself, on the official chronicles written by Taba Taba and Bedal Khan, Bebadal Khan, superintendent of the Royal Goldsmith Establishment, submitted for inspection to His Majesty a recently completed gold, golden screen on which 40,000 toklas of gold had been ex expended and which was decorated with inscriptions and floral designs in orcas and hanging lamps. And in compliance with the lofty degree, the railing screen was installed around the illumined resting place and the constellation of orbs and lamps was suspended around it. In, and in the evening, the illustrious, illustrious mausoleum became, as it were, the replica of the expansive Mount Sinai. Um, through the shining reflection of the radiant presence of that candle of the bedchamber of the glorious caliphate. The first lady of, of the royal Seragilio of the kingdom 
princess of the world and its people, Begum Jahan, Begum Saiba. That means uh, Mumtaz Mahal's daughter. Thus, we see the mausoleum was already existed. Not only existed, but they constructed a gold screen around the grave. The mausoleum shone in the evening like a light, um, like Mount Sinai. Perfect proof of the fact that the mausoleum was already standing and built by Hindu kings prior to Sajahan taking it over. Because in two years, not only would they have not been able to bring down the original mansion, they had to build a foundation. They had to build the foundation. They had to re. They had to take away the, all the dirt, uh, all the muck. Uh, they had to build the foundation, the the layers, the levels, different levels, because she's not buried in the ground. She's buried on 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 a on a level, on a on a constructed uh, level in in the mausoleum. She's not in the ground at all. So they have to build these different levels, um, and then they have to build. The the con the structure of the of the mausoleum they have to construct the dome and it would never have been done in two years. Okay, so this is not this is not a construction by Sajahan one hundred percent. Now other chroniclers repeat the same thing but with contradiction. So Kazani says, and on all four sides of the platform of the plinth of the building of the holy tomb, the foundation of whose do dome has not yet come up above the ground. Sky-wide tents and around them vast canopies were raised, and the entire expanse was adorned and with decorated carpets and assembly place arranged that could accommodate 1,000 persons. Here we see the platform of the tomb was built, on top of which they built tents. They could have been scaffolding and beams all around for the outstructure of the building. There was nothing mentioned about that, though. You cannot build a platform and build a mausoleum after the foundation is built. The laying of the foundation includes building of structural beams of the mausoleum. This also contradicts the previous chronicler, whose quotes say that the mausoleum already existed. Then we have another chronicler contradicting the previous two. So here we have, at the beginning of the fifth year of the exalted ascension, the excavation was started for laying of the foundation of the sublime edifice, which is situated overlooking Jamu the Jamuna River, flowing adjacent to the north. And when the spade wielded with robust arms and handed strong as wheel, as steel, there was unceasing effort excavated down to the water table. The ingenious mansions and architects of astonishing achievement most firmly built the foundation and mortar up to the level of the ground. So here, it talks about at the beginning of the exalted ascension, 50 of the exalted ascension. Okay. Um, and They've only had one year, two years of of building, of uh, commemorations, uh, tents. The the building looks like Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden, in the fifth year, they're building the foundation now. And when this, and here's another uh, chronicler, Lahori. He says on the seventeenth day of Zikada. That's 1635, May 1635, which is the anniversary of death of Her Majesty the Queen in, in the manner of every year in the mausoleum of that enshrined eternal mercy, and Ur's assembly was held. So, 
1635 is just four years after her death. And he's talking about in the mausoleum of that enshrined tomb, uh, an assembly was held. So if the mausoleum was standing there and an assembly was held in 1635, that's four years later, how then in the fifth year were they excavating for laying the foundation? Here, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure this one out, but really, he's upside down. Then he mentioned celebrating the fourth anniversary of the mausoleum, four years to build a tomb, and I don't know what. I'm going to say God save the queen. So, here comes another chronicler, Casvini, on the 15th day of Urdibisht, corresponding to the 17th day of of Zikada, that's May 1635, which is the anniversary of death of that lady uh, returned to divine pleasure. Her Majesty the Queen, Mumtaz al-Zamani, an assembly was arranged according to the usual practice in the illuminated mausoleum, one that of the resting in or one resting in eternal paradise, to which we were invited, um, and the pious, the righteous memories of, Quran, of the Quran uh, and the reciters of the formulas of God. Another chronicler showing uh, the fourth anniversary celebrated in the tomb, um, while in the previous paragraph, the chronicler Sahi says the fifth year was the laying of the foundation. So, you know, he should make up his mind. Uh, Sahi says in in the fifth year of the exalted ascension, um, the foundation of the edifice compared to which the solidity and the height of the foundation of the seven heavens of Shah, Shadad do not form even 1,000 part was laid overlooking the Jamuna River, which flows to the north, and at the bottom of its foundation, having been excavated down to water, wonder-working ma masons raised its foundation in utmost strength, filling it with stone and mortar and brought it up to the ground. A quick note on, on the chronicler Lahori's page shows very clearly that they had Turkish architecture in mind. Um, which, And here it says very clearly, which is highly polished and pure, made of that very stone, the wonderful inlay uh, work of which will be presented, described with an entrance fashioned of jasper after Turkish fashion, joined with Gills fasteners, the cost of which was 10,000 rupees of that time. So now he's talking. Now here's the chronicler Lahori talking about how they're going to fashion it with Turkish fashion. So he's already talking about uh, trying to imitate um, Sulman the Great's wife's tomb and having that influence over here. Now, so there's a contradiction after contradiction after contradiction. Again, you can pick and choose whatever compl completion date you want uh, and compilation that you want. Um, if the tomb, if she died, if Mumtaz died in 1631, uh, within a year they had the uh, anniversary, second year anniversary, third, fourth year anniversary, and fifth year they were laying the foundation. We don't know when this was built and we don't know when this was completed. So let's go to the completion date of the tomb, okay? 
Uh, officially, the government of India says 22 years, which was a figure taken from the accounts given by European travelers. However, the Taj, by its own inscriptions, finished half that time. So here's one of the chroniclers, Sully. In the space of 20 years, that building, the foundation of which is the eighth layer of the world and whose cap is the tenth roof of the world. Talking of the dome. Uh, so he says 20 years. He contradicts his statement and says in another page, on the 17th um, of 1052, that's February 1643, um, the auspicious function of death anniversary of a late, late majesty, Muntaz al-Zamani, was held in the Lumen Mausoleum of that holy qualities, which has been completed at this time, attended by learned the learned and the pious. So basically, at one point he says 20 years, um, and in another part he says in 1643 it was already completed. So which is, what, uh, 12 years? So <laughs> here's some contradiction. Here's some inscriptions on the walls of the mu museum, okay, which give you other dates. The earliest calligraphy shows clearly that the upper marble revetments in the domed hall were in place by 1635 or 1636, which is four to five years after her death. Not possible. Colophon, uh, colo co sorry, Colophon by Amnat Khan, the tomb interior, that's some other writings on the wall. The sudden arch, uh, left end of the upper register, you have Surah 67, uh, 24 written, uh, inscribed, and this was completed in 1635-1636. So you have Surah 67, 24 of the Quran inscribed there. Inscriptions on the West Grill Door, okay, um, again 1636-1637. An unsigned inscription, exterior of the tomb, West Portal, both left side of the arch and at the end, of Surah 82. There's a signature of Amanat Khan inside the tomb, the Southern Arch, dated 1638-1639. Another inscription by Amnat Khan, interior of the tomb on the Southern Arch, bottom right side of, uh, at the end of Surah 39, uh, verses 53 to 54. The last inscription inside the tomb was 1048, which is uh, in our term, 1647 or 1648. Again, this is, even if you take 1648, that is 17 years after uh, the tomb was completed. The gateway inscription of the completion of the mausoleum dated 1647-1648. It is impossible to have completed enough of the mausoleum to have commenced the calligraphy in 1635. This is five years that is five years besides the fact that in India, one can work in construction only eight months because of the monsoon rain. So you can't work 12 months of the year. You have to work eight months of the year. So this is a mess, the date of the completion of the tomb. But don't tell that to the Indian National Congress who lied to us. Now, the we'll talk about the architect of the Taj Mahal. Like everything else, no one knows if this is the correct and what is the correct answer to the above question. There is no architect mentioned in the official chronicles of Emperor Sajahan. There's only circumstantial evidence, but no official name 
given by the court chronicles. Weird for an empire who is pontificating a, a liberate and intellectual supremacy over the, every other empire in the world. An empire is said to have chronicled everything. So he, apparently the Mongols say they chronicle everything, or should I say the modern day Muslims say they chronicle everything. It's perfect order, but it's ridiculous. It's a mess. So let's start with Ustad Ahmad. Okay, his name comes up. His name comes up in an unofficial document, uh, the Divan e Muhandis, by his second son, Lutuf, uh, Lutf Allah. He claims his father built both the Taj Mahal and the Red Fort in Delhi, Shah Jahanabad Fort. He worked with another architect during Shah Jahan's reign. Um, who was called Ustad Hamid. Neither are in the chronicles in reference to the Taj Mahal. Okay, so, so Emperor uh, Sajohan had three or four chroniclers, um, but none of them mentioned his name. So you can't make, you can make a mistake once, twice, not three times. However, chronicle by Ustad Ahmad's death, on Ustad Ahmad's death, said he died in 1649. That that is before the Taj was finished, as noted by the Indian government. So if he's the architect, then he died before uh, the Taj was finished. So what gives? There are two official notes of supervisors of construction. So these are notes in the chronicles of supervisors, not of architects. So Mak Makramat Khan, a title given to Mullah Murshid Siraj, who came to India during Empress Jahangir, he rose up the ranks and is said to have been in charge of Sah Jahanabad in Delhi. He died in 1648. So he was a supervisor, Mir Abd al-Karim, in charge of the Lahore fort. He was transferred to Agra in 1632 as superintendent of the buildings. He was at this posting until his transfer in 1649. Both of these two supervisors, building supervisors, are noted as supervisors of constructions in the official uh, chronicles. No mention of the word architect. I repeat, there is no mention of the word architect or chief architects, which in Persian is Mirmar, Mimar. Okay. Um, now, the foundation of the charge is supposedly built using architecture called by modern Islam as hushed bisht architecture, eight-sided floor plan using so-called Persian engineering and architecture. Again, Persian is not Islamic. Okay, Persia existed way before Islam. Islam invaded the land, chose to absorb its culture and knowledge, rebrand the same, and now says it's theirs. Islam says it's eight, represents the eight levels of paradise for Muslims. Actually, it's just rhetoric, which was rebranded from traditions and culture of previous civilizations. The land we know have come to know as Persia was all part of the Vedic belt. Okay, the region broke up into smaller individual empires, forgetting their science. The like everything else, the parables to explain the science was rebranded by invading groups, which now have put their divine touch on it and called it a replica of paradise. The eight-sided architecture has nothing to do, has to do nothing with Islam, but it has to do with four cardinal directions and four sub-directions of every junction. That makes up our electromagnetic field. This architecture was also and always been used for architecture of Vedic Hindu temples, using mandalas patterns, also used in the Angkor Wat. Um, Vedic architecture can 
be seen all over India. It was clearly used in the Taj Mahal like a game of chess that originated on the Indian subcontinent from our Vedic heritage. Chess is played on a checkered board uh, with 64 squares arranged in 8 by 8 grid. Similarly, Hindu architecture descended from our Vedic knowledge showing 8 sides. So you see... Uh, there is nothing to say that Sajahan built the temple because all his chroniclers uh, go against each other. There is no notice of any architect of the temp of of the Taj Mahal. There is no uh, the inscriptions all about the place. He definitely bought the land with the house on it. No mention of bringing the house down. Uh, within one year, he was already having his first anniversary uh, of his wife's death. So. Everything points to the fact that he bought the Taj Mahal instead of um, building it. So we'll stop for now. I hope you've uh, taken some notes and compared it with the notes that we already have. And um, I, I hope that you will do your research on this as much as possible. Thank you very much for listening. You have a great day and uh, see you tomorrow.